man. So, all week I had been thinking about, I've had this message done. It was funny because I feel like God kind of knew that uh, this week was going to be really crazy and a lot of stuff was going on. So God gave me this message about two weeks ago, I would say. Had it done. I just could not think for the life of me, how do you start this message? And even this morning I walked in, I was talking with Harley and I was like, all right, I got three different ways to start this message. <laughs> which, one, which way should I go? And he gave me some advice, so I'm going with what Harley suggested. So if you don't like it, it's his fault. But <laughs> he does. God's got it. Yes, he does. But let me ask this. Have you ever been known for something specific in your life? Like one moment in life has kind of defined you. That's what everybody knows about you. And, you know, when people see you from your past, you're like, are you still doing this? And you're like, ah. Not really. Well, um, when I was in high school, and some of you know this uh, about me already, so bear with me if, if you know this, but Lord of the Rings was really, really big when I was in high school. That's when the movies started coming out, and everybody was really into watching the movies, and, you know, at first, my dad took me to see the first one, hated it. I thought it was awful because I didn't know it was going to be like hanging at the end that when you got to it, you're like, oh, I got to wait how long to figure out what happens to, to the fellowship at this point. And so I was really mad that it kind of ended on a cliffhanger after three, three hours. You have three hours and then you have a cliffhanger. Terrible. But uh, when the second movie came out, they introduced this character, Gollum, right? Anybody know Gollum? So Gollum is this really creepy, decrepit little character that's got weird teeth, got missing a lot of them, and, you know, he was just really ugly and transformed by the power of this ring. And I figured out that I could do the voice of Gollum. So uh, in high school, I was a very quiet kid, let me preface that, uh, but somehow it got out that I could do the Gollum voice. So it didn't matter who you were at school, whether you knew me or not, people would literally just walk up and ask me to do the voice. So I'm not going to do it this morning. No, just kidding. I'll do it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the second one, he has this point where he argues with himself. And he goes, uh, he's like, but Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. Not listening. <laughs> but that's what I had been known for in high school. And, you know, Many of you have different weird things maybe that you were known for too, but this morning we are going to be talking about a specific person out of the Bible that they were known for something specific. There's literally a phrase that we all know about this person. If I say the name Thomas, you say doubting. Yes, doubting Thomas. This is what this man was known for in the Bible. Does anybody know anything else about Thomas? Anything? Anything? He's a twin? Yes. That is another one, but 
Do you know his most profound statement that took place before he said about not believing unless he touched the scars on Jesus' hands and his side? Do you guys know what he said before that? Okay. Well, we will be starting off talking about that this morning. So you guys will get to kind of see who Thomas was. And Thomas was not just about being a doubtful guy. And it's kind of sad that he's gained this reputation of being doubting Thomas. But this morning's message, I titled it, It's a Doubt Time. (laughs) Because we all have times where we doubt. None of us in this room, I would say that we have not had a moment in our life where we doubted our relationship with Jesus or we doubted something about God. Right? Being honest? Anybody? But before we get to that point, before we get to what he was known for, I want you guys to take a look at this statement from John chapter 11, starting in verse 7. We'll read to 10 and then skip a couple verses. So this is right after that Jesus hears about Lazarus and what's going on in in Lazarus' life, that he's sick, that he is about to die and has died at this point. And it says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? So the disciples are saying, Jesus, are you crazy? You were just around the Jewish people, and they tried to kill you. Now you're saying you want to go back again? So you hear the disciples asking, asking this question, and then Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows what, that, what was about to perspire in his life, that he was about to go through the crucifixion, that he was about to, to go through his death. He was not shocked by what was about about to happen. And then he gets into talking about the idea that, hey, Lazarus is, is sleeping, and they're like, oh, he's just sleeping. He's fine, right? And then Jesus is like, well, he's actually dead. So we're going to go, and we're going to see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this is how Thomas responds when he sees that Jesus is serious about going back to Judea. He says, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, there you are, Rima, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Think about that statement. All of the disciples are saying at this point, Jesus, why are you going to go back to Judea? Because they tried to kill you. And then Thomas is like, come on, guys, let's go with him. If he's going to die, we're going to die with him. What a statement of faith. What a strong connection that he had with Jesus. Now think back through your life, and I want you guys to, to, to remember that we have all had times where we are very strong in our faith. We've had moments where we're like, yes, Jesus is the best thing. We get into worship. We're just so into it. When we pray, we're like, man, I know that he hears me. We're in the bird. We're in the Bible. Yeah, totally different. But anyway, 
and we're starting to understand, we're picking up things. Jesus is talking to us through the word, and we're just on fire. We're seeing miracles happen, and all this crazy stuff is going on. We're just like, yes, my faith is good. Life is good. And you think about all the things that the disciples had seen at this point with Jesus. And, you know, the whole perspective is that Jesus was going to come in and he was just going to destroy the Roman Empire. He was going to set them free. So the disciples, I'm sure at this point, as, as Thomas is making this statement saying, let us go and die with him, they were ready to go to battle. They were ready to get this war going on and they didn't care if they died in the process. But I would say that a lot of us have seen Jesus working miracles and doing amazing things at some point in time in our life. And when we've seen those things, our faith is so strong, it's tangible. We think that we can do anything at that point. When Jesus is on our side and everything seems to be going really well, we just saw something impossible. And we are so high on our Jesus. We are willing to sacrifice anything at, those po- at that point. We're willing to give up anything in our lives. Just say, Jesus, I give this to you. Jesus, I know that you were there. I'm willing to put this aside, put you first. We're willing to get everything out of the way in those moments when our faith is so strong. There are even times where our faith is so strong that we are willing to give up our lives for him. You know, we, we often get that question. It's like, you know, if, if, you know, we started being persecuted to the point of death here in America, would you be able to stand? Would you be able to not deny Jesus? And we're all like, yes! And we have those moments where we feel so strong in that walk that we are willing to give our lives over for him. So what happened to the point where where Thomas was like, hey, I am willing to go die with you, Jesus? It's like that that part from Inside Out. You guys ever see that movie? I would die for Riley, (laughs) right? It's like, I would die for Jesus. So what happened? What was the translation that went from that to, man, I, I don't believe you guys that Jesus is alive. I don't believe unless I touch the holes in his hands, and I put my hand in the scar in his side. You know, Tyler talked a couple weeks ago just about the, the road to Emmaus. I want to take a little visit back to, to this passage in, in Luke chapter 24, starting in 17. And it says, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with, other, uh, with each other as you walk? Again, he's talking about the idea of, of, of Jesus being this guy. It's like, hey, what's going on, guys? And how Jesus comes back and he just starts asking all these really bizarre questions and and greetings, right? That's kind of where Tyler's been lately. But then it says, and they stood still looking very sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Thinking about the weight of what just happened in Jerusalem, we're talking about Jesus going back, going uh, back to Judea, knowing that he was about to sacrifice himself. And now people are responding because that sacrifice has taken place. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed, in word before God and all people, and now our chief, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. And I bolded this part in my notes. 21, it says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The, the disciples were hoping that Jesus was going to be the one to come and free them from the, the Roman Empire, to free them from the situations and the circumstances of where life had them at. Just as Thomas, they were ready to, to go into that battle and they were, they were believing that Jesus was going to come in and, and he was going to free them physically from, from the, the oppression of the, of the Roman Empire. So we're talking about two disciples here in this moment that we don't really know any about. We don't even know one of them's name. And they were feeling the weight of the sadness of everything that had just happened, that Jesus was turned over and he was crucified and, and he was killed. And they're all having this mindset, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one that was going to redeem us. So if the disciples that we don't know really anything about were feeling that way, imagine what the 11 were feeling. That the 11 were probably feeling extremely heavy, realizing that this person that was their leader, their friend, uh, this guy that guided them through life, the guy that pulled these, these nobodies out of nowhere and made them into these people that were doing miracles and doing amazing things, and he was gone. So this is what happened to Thomas. He experienced a great loss. Somebody that he was very close to, somebody that he knows loved him, somebody that, that took time to pour into his life. Life doesn't always go the way that we thought or had hoped that it would. This is not what the disciples thought was going to happen. They did not expect life to go this way. They did not expect to, to feel the weight of this sadness. Life throws us some pretty rough curveballs sometimes, wouldn't you agree? I can remember when I was, when I was in Little League, baseball was kind of my, my game to play. And my team was really good this year. We were the Twins, and, and we made it all the way to the championship series. And that team was so good, they had the best pitcher in the entire Little League, could throw the fastest ball probably like 60, 70 miles per hour as a, as a kid. And they thought that we were going to lose so bad that they brought all of the trophies like in, in the first two games because it was like two losses and you're out. But we held on. We didn't win, but we, we made it to the final game. And I remember in, in that game, they saved their best pitcher for the last game. And I was up to bat, and I was getting ready to go, and standing there at the plate, and he threw a fastball. Hit me right in the wrist bone. And so I dropped the bat, and I'm, I'm crying at this point because, you know, it was really fast and really painful. And uh, I start walking to my base, and they call me out. The umpire said that it hit the, the handle of my bat and not my wrist, so they called me out of the game. 
Um, I just remembered thinking, man, not only did I get hit with the ball, then I get called out. And sometimes that's what it feels like when we get hit by a curveball in life. That we think it hurts painfully enough when we get hit by it, but then something follows it up and we just feel out of life. I can imagine this is where the disciples were sitting at this point. The fact that they gave up on, on all of that Jesus had, had, had done for them and everything that he had trained them and they just go back to life. There are times in life where we experience really deep hurt. And when we experience that, that deep hurt, sometimes it's really, really hard to get out of it. There are times in life where we experience great loss. Sometimes we lose family unexpectedly. Sometimes we lose friends out of nowhere. Sometimes we lose jobs, houses. We go through a really, really hard time. And we don't know how to handle it. And there's so much pain that we are experiencing when there's changes in life and, and these curveballs just keep hitting us. And when we go through those things, we can often be left feeling crushed. Wouldn't you guys say? Have you ever felt crushed in your life? The circumstances, loss, all of that, you just don't know where to go or what to do. And we have moments where we reach out to God and we are praying and we are asking. But God doesn't always show up the way that we expect him to. Just like in the circumstance, Jesus did not show up and do exactly what the disciples expected him to do. So, in response, after all of that, after... Thomas had this great statement of let us go and die with, for Jesus. Let us go and die with him. Jesus gives his life over. The disciples are, are crushed and destroyed. And this is the response that, that Thomas gets after in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So the disciples were not only experiencing the, the loss and all of that, now they're, they're afraid that their lives are going to be taken too. So think about that weight. They just lost their friend. They just experienced, some of them even watched it all happen. Jesus is gone, and now they're afraid that their lives are next. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now jumping to 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the, nail, mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Times of being crushed can lead to doubt in our lives. 
And when we are going through all of those experiences, when we're going through those, the pain can overtake us. The anger can overtake us. The depression can overtake us. And when, when God is not responding the way that we think that he should, we get to these places of, of doubt. We can doubt that Jesus loves us or even cares about us. I've been in those moments. Jesus, do you care where I'm at? Do you care what is going on in my life? Do you really love me? Do you love me and leave me in this place? We've all had those moments where we feel that life has beaten us down so much and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. We can doubt the words that he has spoken to us. We can doubt what the Bible says. We can doubt the promises. We can doubt all of those things that that Jesus has personally spoken to us. Sometimes we can even doubt that he exists. For being honest, I think most of us in this room can say at one point in time that we've doubted that he has existed in the midst of going through pain and struggle of life. I know I have. Thomas is going through this extremely hard time and you know, he wants to <laughs> he wants to see Jesus. He misses his friend and the disciples are like, "Hey, he was here, you just missed him." I can't believe it unless I see him. That man that was so strong in his faith is now so defeated that he can't even believe his friends when they tell him the truth. In those moments of doubt, there's two different ways that we can often be taken. There's an enemy that that is out there, and there's a Savior that loves us. John chapter 10 Verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that uh, you may have life and have it abundantly. This verse is comparing the two roads that we can take on. Jesus is saying, I am the door. I am the way out. I am your Savior. Come to me. And I will give you life in the midst of that struggle. I will give you life in the midst of what is going on. I will give you life. Come to me. But it also says, hey, there is an enemy. There is a thief that is coming to steal, kill, and destroy you. Satan can use these, these times to manipulate us to turn doubt into unbelief. There is an enemy that hates you. There is an enemy that hates Jesus. There is an enemy out there that wants nothing more than for you to turn your back on the one who can save you. He wants to see you destroyed. He wants to to whisper in your ear. He wants to lie to you. He wants you to believe that Jesus is nowhere to be found. And the scary part is that he knows the eternal consequences when we turn away from Jesus, when we don't believe in Jesus. The enemy knows what will happen to us 
And he wants nothing more for your life to be destroyed. He will lie, cheat, and steal to try to pull you away from your Savior. So right now, maybe you're in the midst of doubt in your life. You're struggling with something that's going on. You're in deep pain, deep anguish from something that has happened. There is an enemy that is going to try to pull you away, and you cannot let him do that. If you're hearing something that is contradictory to the word of God, it is not Jesus. That is an enemy that is trying to manipulate you into this situation to say that he's not, that God is not there for you. But on the other hand, let's jump back into the story in John chapter 20, verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. To think about this, this moment right here, I love how it emphasizes the fact that the doors and the windows, everything is locked. The disciples are the only one in there. And Jesus just teleports into the room. Crazy, right? You know, I always talk about the idea that, you know, there are some superpowers in the Bible. And Jesus is exemplifying one right now, whether it's phasing through walls or it's teleportation. Something weird is happening in this moment. But I love the fact that Jesus, even though he was not present in the room, when Thomas said, I will only believe if I put my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side, Jesus walks up to him with that exact phrasing, knowing exactly what Thomas was experiencing. Jesus will use these moments of doubt to draw close to us. Did you guys know that? In those moments of, of doubt, Jesus is right there beside us. And I, I want you to, to hear this. Even in the midst of doubt, we can often look at a doubt in our, in our lives, in our, in our relationship as Jesus as a very negative thing. But what happened was Jesus came to see Thomas and said, hey, I'm right here. Reach out to me. Reach out. I'm right here. Put your, hand, put your finger here. Put your hand right here. I'm here for you, Thomas. So in the midst where you're, well, of, of your doubt, in the midst of, of your struggle and, and unbelief, Jesus is drawing close to you and saying, reach out. I'm right here waiting for you. I have come to this place to meet you, to see you. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're going through. I see everything that's happening, and I am here to meet you. 
Jesus is calling out to you right now saying, I see where you are. I see where you're hurting. I see your struggles. I see your doubts. I'm right here beside you. What is the response that you're going to have? Are you going to allow the enemy to continue to manipulate you and pull you away from the only one that can save you? Or are you going to take this moment and reach out to Jesus? Say, I need you. I'm in such a place of doubt in my relationship with you and I need to feel you. I need to know that you're real. I need to know that you're with me. Where are you right now with that? Jesus will show up in the midst of our doubt and show that he is faithful and true. Jesus shows up in the midst of our most questioning times and says, I am with you and I am truth and I will, I will bring you through this. Are you going to reach out to him as he draws near? Are you going to reach out to touch him when he says, here's my hands, take my hands? In those moments of doubt, when we reach out to find him, in the, or when we reach out to find him in the midst of doubts, he can become more real to us than we have ever experienced in our lives. When we reach out to Jesus and we begin to experience him, when we begin to, to feel and know that he is true and that he is there for us, that he's come to meet us in this place, he can become more real to you than he has ever been before. Jesus is, is waiting for you. He's standing there saying, right now is the time. Now is the time to let go. Now is the time to, to, to let go of, of whatever that is that you're holding on to. And hold on to me. Because I've been holding on to you this whole time. I've never let you go. You know, it's sometimes when we get into that place of doubt and we begin to see if Jesus is real, when we begin to pray, when we begin to, to read the word and get into it, we can maybe find a real relationship maybe that we haven't had before. Because sometimes our relationships that we have with Jesus is based off of somebody else's relationship and we only go by what we hear or the things, but we've never taken the time to experience Jesus for ourselves. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of desperation are the times where we can reach out and as we begin to experience him and feel that he is real to wipe away the doubts, to wipe away the, the unbelief and to say, I am with you. I want to close out with this verse. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 12. It says, then you will call upon me and I will come. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Jesus is listening. His ear is turned towards you. He's watching you. He's waiting for you in this moment. Do not allow the enemy to destroy your relationship with him. He's not far. He's right beside you. So, as we sing this next song, take it in, realize it's a bit of honesty.